Well, we have a scripture reading this morning from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, starting at verse 11 through verse 18. So if you want a moment to, to find that or just to, to prepare to hear from God's word, well, just take a, take a moment before we, we read. First John 3, starting at verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, well, then how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. May God bless to our understanding that reading from His Word. All right, well, we are now basically halfway there. This is week four of the, the Mission Edge messages on these six mission markers. And our Mission Edge small groups are either kind of halfway into their material or they're about to be. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then we're, we're working through a process right now to understand something called a Mission Edge Church and to give some thought to future steps that Faith Baptist Church might take in the next season of our ministry. And so far, uh, we're going to put some, my slides up here in a second, because so far we've looked at three out of the six of the, these mission markers here. We talked about living the Jesus way when gathered and scattered about radiating hospitality, and last week, having fluency in the good news. And today's marker, which is embodying the good news, is linked closely to last week's topic. Last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' teaching about the fields being white in the world, the idea that God is at work, He's planting seeds of faith, and He calls on us to be willing to go and, and harvest those. And the specific way we talked about doing that was through preparing and sharing versions of our own faith stories. And so I encourage the congregation to just to think through some short and simple ways that you would be able to express why it is you follow Jesus, what being a Christian has, has meant for you in your life, or maybe describe some major event in your life where faith played a really important role, something that would be ready and easy to, to share with somebody else. And I also mentioned that it's, it's more important than ever for normal Christians, everyday Christians, to be willing to, to speak up and say why Jesus matters to them. Because your word is worth more than the word of a pastor or an evangelist or a religious professional of some kind to most people. I mean, think about it this way. Like, are you more likely to buy some product based on an advertisement or based on some salesperson's pitch or based on somebody you know well who highly recommends it to you? Right? The, the testimony of an everyday person, someone you know, that is much more meaningful. We're, we're so used to being marketed to and having sales pitches thrust at us, we don't trust those. 
And this is true of faith as well. Your, your testimony or your reasons for believing will be worth quite a bit more to many people than an appeal from a church pulpit. A lot of people do not trust the church as an institution, but they would listen to something positive about Jesus from someone who they know. If. Right? There is a huge if that goes with that statement, and that's at the heart of today's mission marker. There are people who would listen to something positive about Jesus from someone they knew if they've seen that person live in a way consistent with what they claim to believe, if they live a life that resembles Jesus, if they embody the good news, which is mission marker number four. And so here's the description of that marker from the Mission Edge material. Mission Edge churches understand that God calls us to make His love known not only through words, but also through our actions rooted in grace and truth. This means that we want to tell the story of the good news through living lives that have been transformed by the power of this story. Both the incarnation, which is God taking on human flesh in Jesus, and Scripture make clear that God's love is concrete, it's tangible, it's relevant, out of the knowledge that both the physical as well as the spiritual are important to God. And so giving a cold cup of water, being the first to apologize and take responsibility, feeding the hungry, providing for those in need, caring for our neighbor's children, driving a senior to a doctor's appointment, are all ways that we make visible the reality of the good news found in Jesus. All right, so that's, that's some foundation to build on. And now let's, let's dig into today's passage from 1 John chapter 3. And the thing about this passage is I worry about passages like this when I choose them because it says more than once in it that, that we should love one another. And I, my fear is always that when people hear that, they kind of stop listening because they, they, they figure that's all they really need to know from that. Like, oh, yeah, it's the Bible saying love each other again. Like, I got it, I got it. But I think we could try to get a little more out of this today. So let's, let's dig into this a bit deeper because one of the issues being dealt with in this full chapter is actually an issue around false teachers. And so the question throughout this, this, uh, this bit of Scripture is, how can you tell who is a sincere Jesus follower and who isn't? Who is a re reliable Christian teacher and who's just trying to gather an audience for their own benefit? And the answer given here is not to listen to what they say, but to watch what they do. And the main thing to watch for is evidence of love. It says, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And so this is an important concept in this whole passage, that there is a way of death and there's a way of life. And you can tell which way holds sway over somebody based on how they act and specifically how they love. And the early church was remarkable for its love despite being made up of groups that did not mix in that time and culture. And the idea in those days of having a single community made up of men and women and Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free, that was a revolutionary notion. And it was only possible because of the spirit-infused love that they had. This love for each other and for the vulnerable people they encountered showed each other and the world that they were true followers of Jesus, people who had passed from death to life. But not everyone drawn to that early church community had made that journey to life. 
And our passage has words of warning about this. It says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So, murder, obviously, is bad, but this passage goes a step further and equates hatred with murder. And this echoes some of Jesus' words from Matthew 5, where he said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is a term of contempt, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. There's a way of death. Murder is an obvious sign that someone is going that way, but anger and hatred and contempt are all part of that path to death as well. And so no murderer has eternal life residing in him does not mean that it isn't possible for someone who's committed murder to repent and receive God's grace. The sense of this statement is that when it's ongoing, nobody who persists in murderousness, in anger and abuse and harming and belittling others, no one like that has eternal life residing in him. And this passage is telling people in a Christian community that, look, you can recognize people who are not living as Christians and who should not be treated like Christians. In my first year at, uh, at seminary, the, the president of Acadia Divinity College at the time was Dr. Lee McDonald, and he, he shared a story from early in his ministry career that I still remember. I think possibly he shared it in every single class he taught, which was why I remember it, but either way, it, it stuck. And he was, he was struggling with some members of his church as a young pastor, and he called a more experienced pastor to ask, what, what do I do? And he was describing all this trouble he was having, and at one point he said something along the lines of, he says, oh, look, I know that they're good Christian people. I just don't know what to do with them. And his mentor stopped him right there and he said, wait, why do you think that they're good Christian people? And Dr. McDonald said, well, I mean, like these people have been members of this church since they were kids. They're here every Sunday. They come to all the things. They do all this stuff. And the veteran pastor then said, well, hang on, let me ask you a few questions about this. He says, are these people normally positive or negative? He says, well, they're pretty much always negative. Do they encourage the people around them or discourage them? Well, they, they, they discourage. There's kind of a dark cloud around them. Do they try to unite people or do they <clears throat> divide them? And he says, well, they're pretty divisive, all these little side conversations and comments under their breath. Do they seem more loving or do they seem more angry or bitter? And he says, well, I, I, they seem pretty bitter as far as I can see. And then why, said his mentor, why do you think that they are Christians at all? And that was a bit of a revelation. Because he'd been working from the belief that obviously any committed church member must be a Christian. Maybe some are better at it than others, but they must all be. But the reality of our faith is not anchored in how long we belong to a church or how often we attend or how much we give or how many hours we serve. None of that is worth very much if we bear no resemblance to Jesus. And which brings to mind the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, if I have the gift of prophecy... If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And this is, this is really 
difficult territory. There's a really fine line we walk here because followers of Jesus should be gracious and not judgmental. We know that becoming Christians does not suddenly cause us to do everything right. We are still flawed people. So it's no, not a good thing to go around declaring that this person or that person isn't a real Christian because of this thing that they said or this peculiar belief that they hold or because they didn't invite me to their party that time or whatever it is. But it's also the case that there are people who claim to be Christians but aren't. And Christians sometimes try so hard to be nice and to be gracious that they see people who are on the path of death with their anger and their hate and their contempt and their destructive tendencies, but they say, well, it's not for me to judge. Actually, it is with the Holy Spirit's help. You don't get to judge who God has saved. You don't get to judge who you'll spend eternal life with. You don't decide those things. But you can and should judge who is actually committed to the way of life and who is going on the way of death. And you don't have to go around with a megaphone announcing your opinion of everyone. But boy, if you trust a loveless Christian about anything, or you vote to appoint one as a church leader, or you refuse to stand up and protect others from their worst tendencies of someone like that, you're not being nice. You're letting down your church by failing to do what the Bible tells us to do. And that's a big part of the problem the church has in being taken seriously in the world around us. Because your neighbors and your coworkers have seen and heard a lot of hateful and foolish and unloving talk and seen examples of destructive behavior by people who claim to belong to Jesus, but like Cain, are actually in the grip of evil. And I'm not talking about writing off Christians who mess up, right? That will happen. It will happen to every one of us. It'll happen more than once. But people who are on the path of life, when they mess up, they will see their sin. They will humble themselves and repent of it. They will repair as much of the damage as they can. They will learn to love others better when they come out the other side. And there should be forgiveness and redemption in those cases alongside any prudent consequences that have to be put in place to protect those who have been harmed. But this is, this is not what we're talking about. I'm talking about those who willfully persist in evil. And when Christians allow people like that to speak on our behalf, or when we cheer them on, or when we rush to their defense because we think of them as on our team, or when we give them leadership in our churches or ministries, or when we send them money, or whatever other ways we overlook all the evidence that they do not love and remain in death. What we do is we tarnish Jesus' name to the world around us. And this is the problem with the kind of the culture war version of Christianity, is that there's this sense that we must defend everyone who claims to be on our team, rather than making sure that you know, we make the church a place where you know, where love is the primary qualification for anything that we do. Today's passage says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And this is tied to Cain and Abel. Uh, it's saying that, look, if you live according to the way of life, it'll cause people who remain in death to hate you. Your goodness will shame their evil. It's telling Christians to expect resistance, even hatred, if they hold to what is good and true. And this absolutely does happen, especially to Christians in cultures without the Christian roots that ours has, but perhaps increasingly in our own culture, we'll see more of this as well. But one of my great hopes is that Christians would do everything that they can to make sure that this is the only reason the world hates us. Because the world will also hate us if we seem to hate them, or if we behave in a way that suggests that we don't really believe what we claim to believe about Jesus, we just like telling other people that they're bad. And look, the early Christians were hated for being too different 
from the culture around them. And that's the right way for that to work. Christians today sometimes are hated or simply ignored because we are not different enough. Now, I'm dwelling on the negative a bit here, but please understand that the harm that is being done and has been done by supposed Christians who are more hateful than loving is a major barrier that stands in the way of sharing the good news of Jesus in our culture. And when we come across people and we think about sharing our faith or expressing something about it, to keep in the back of our minds that there's a decent chance that somewhere along the way, someone who claims to follow the same Savior we have has, has hurt that person or let them down in a significant way. And so this is why having fluency in the good news, our mission marker number three, is not enough. We should speak about the good news of Jesus, but many people will not trust what we have to say until they've seen evidence that we personally, or our church in its organized work, are bringing life to people. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So let's, let's get out of the negative and see about the positive side of what is this way of life that we should be pursuing in order to embody the good news. And here's some of what our passage tells us about this, that this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Certainly, this is not all the Bible has to say about what the way of life looks like, but it's, an, it's a good starting place. What's the kind of love that we're talking about, right? The, the kind that would cause Jesus to give his life for us, it says. And so, this is not a fleeting feeling. This is not doing a nice thing from time to time. We are talking about living and even dying for the sake of others. It's taking the view that your well-being is at least as important to me as mine, and I will lay it on the line for you. And so that is a deeper level of investment than most people have with anyone outside their immediate family, right? For our spouse or kids or parents, perhaps, sure. But for, you know, Bill from church or Jane from my small group or Dan, who I worked in the kitchen that one time at the, you know, dinner, well, that's maybe more of a stretch for most of us. And then there are our neighbors, our coworkers, our people in our extended circle of relationships they're the people who depend on help from Beacon House for essentials. And by the way, Beacon House is short on baby supplies right now, if you want to think about that in the next couple of weeks. Or the ones, people sheltering at the Sackville Warming Center in the evenings. Right, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, this passage refers to people in our church community when it says brother or sister. And that's an important place to show care and concern first and foremost, because they're often the people we are more closely connected to who are aware of their struggles. Our own chosen spiritual community should be a place that we come to show and spread love. But Jesus, the prophets, many other parts of the Bible should tell us that this love is not meant to be limited to home and church. Our calling is to extend it to the people on our street, in our community, even across the world. So that's the first of two ways I want to focus now on how we can embody the good news in our day-to-day -day lives, okay? So as we get practical now, as we think about what I can do, I have two, two main things that I think are ways that we can embody that good news. And the first is in practical expressions of love. 
And let's listen to the word of, of Jesus from Matthew's gospel, because I don't know if we can hear this too many times as a reminder. <clears throat> Jesus said, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and feed you or give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The, the early Christians, they rescued children who were left for dead. They cared for widows and orphans. They won over their culture with their practical expressions of love in large part. Uh, there are letters from Roman officials saying, you know, we've got to step it up because the Christians are doing so much more to help people than their government is that, you know, they're turning away from us and to this Jesus. The church came up with the idea of hospitals, a large number of charities and soup kitchens and aid agencies, <coughs> excuse me, in our Western world, <coughs> our Christian organizations are heavily supported by churches. <coughs> There's a, uh, <coughs> one of the uh, preaching professor at the Divinity College is looking at the preaching of Tommy Douglas, who was a Baptist minister, but also the person who thought that really Canadians ought to have access to medical care whether or not they can pay, and did so much to make that happen. And so we embody the good news when we live up to that legacy. And I could say a lot more about that, but I, I know that I don't really need to in a lot of ways, because I know how many of you have given a huge amount of time and service caring for aging parents and struggling children, providing drives for people's appointments and their grocery runs, bringing meals to those who needed them, checking in on each other, making sure your neighbor, you know, has their sidewalk or driveway cleared for those who can physically do that, offering up encouragement when someone you know is feeling low. Some of you serve at Beacon House and the Sackville Warming Center. Many of you give food and money and supplies to those, them and to other groups. And so, won't won't go into this over and over and over again, but we could ask ourselves, are there some opportunities that we are missing to embody the good news through practical expressions of love? Have we kind of settled into our inner circle of people we take care of and, and not look to see if there are others who aren't in someone's circle that need to be, you know, to find a place that they can come into someone's? Or if we've gotten just a little too comfortable needing to have everything that everyone around us has, everything around us seems to have, and and not directing some of that to, to those who have next to nothing. The book of Hebrews, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So more of that certainly wouldn't hurt, to encourage each other and spur each other on toward love and good deeds. So now that was the first. Now for the second way that I think we can embody the good news each day wherever we go. And this one maybe is a little less obvious, but I really think it's through consistent character. Now, consistency is something I feel like is slipping away in our world as I watch people change their views and values on a whim. And it, it just cannot be this way for Jesus' followers. 
one aspect of having consistent character is being the same person no matter your context, right? You should not be one person on a Sunday morning here in a church building and then a significantly different person at home or at work or perhaps especially on the internet somewhere and social media. Because it's, it's been said that true character is who we are when nobody is watching. And that character should still be Christ-like. It should look the same in all areas of our lives. That kind of consistency gives us credibility with others. The other aspect of having consistent character is not letting our principles shift away from our understanding of the Bible. And, you know, when other groups and other people around us are changing their minds about this, that, and the other thing. The Bible has some bedrock principles that Christians simply must not and should not compromise, right? We are called to be truthful, even if that doesn't make us look good, even if it doesn't work to our advantage. And that includes not repeating or sharing information if we don't have good reason to think it's reliable. We're called to value life at all its stages and respect all people as made in the image of God. We are called to advocate for the vulnerable and voiceless, taking up the cause of the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. We're called to adopt a posture of humble service toward others, following the example of Jesus. We should stand firm on what Jesus said were the most important commands, which sum up the scriptures. Love God, love your neighbor. And then there are these matters of faith that the church has held true for hundreds, if not thousands of, of years, that must not simply shift with every wind of culture. The values of political parties will change. The cultural currents around us will shift. The opinions of people we admire and organizations that are important to us may transform. We don't just change with them. Now, if a much more mature understanding of the Bible or greater wisdom through our experience changes our thinking about something, then good. That is how we grow. But we don't compromise to fit the world's expectations. Christians will not fit very neatly into the groups of people that others fall into because of this, right? We, we may not feel at home, like there is no political party that fits me very well. There is no, you know, social organization that, that necessarily fits me very well. There is no, you know, ideological spot on the spectrum of left and right that fits me very well necessarily. It's going to feel a little bit awkward to be left out, but that's how it works when your citizens of a different kingdom living in a foreign land. And one thing about being willing to be in that awkward space and not quite fitting in is that it also shows the world that we have deeper commitments, that we embody the good news of Jesus when we refuse to compromise on the things that Jesus has commanded us and when we continue to find joy in following in Jesus' example out of love for him. So, practical expressions of love and consistent character. Two ways that I think we can embody the good news. Walk in the way of life, not the way of death. Don't associate or support or tolerate those who walk in the way of death. Take up the cause of life through those practical expressions of love and by maintaining consistent and Christ-like character. There is a, a popular quote that's attributed to to St. Francis of Assisi, who is the, the father of the, the Franciscan order of, of monks. And it says, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And somebody wrote that one day on the wall of the, uh, the staff washroom of the old Bayside camp. And so I've never forgotten it because I had lots of time to, to read it many times uh, <laughs> in the day. But there's, 
there's something about that that resonates, about the idea that our most powerful preaching as Christians, like that we are all preachers in a sense, and that our most powerful preaching comes without necessarily us saying anything. There is one small problem with this quote. Well, actually, there are two small problems. I mean, the, the first problem is that St. Francis of Assisi almost certainly never said it. <laughs> there's, there's nothing in his writings or early biographies that backs that one up. But the second thing is that words and actions are meant to go together. St. Francis was a powerful preacher. He knew this well. That sharing the good news does require words. People can't understand what Jesus has done for us or how to receive the eternal life that Jesus gives apart from someone expressing that in words. But if those words are not matched and led often by loving action, then they are likely to be ignored or rejected. The people of a Mission Edge Church value both of these things. They seek to be fluent in the good news so they can express it in words and embody the good news through their consistent character and their practical expressions of love. This is the way of life. May we choose it wholeheartedly. I invite, I was going to say a word of prayer before we uh, go, to the, go to the Lord's table today. Lord God, I pray that you would just help us to receive that which is good, that which came from your word, that which you would speak into our hearts through those readings of the scripture and my reflections on them. And now as we go before your table, I just pray your, your presence be among us and that you would stir up those things that might need to be stirred up and allow us to, to come and to receive as we should. In Jesus' name.